have the files. Hello, and welcome. My name is Tucker Johnson, and I am your host today as we experience Nimsy Live, where we talk about the latest and greatest in translation, localization, internationalization, culturalization, and all that fun stuff global companies need to delight their international customers, or at least to not piss them off too much. On this program, we invite guests who like to have fun and have some value to add for our audience of globalization professionals. I'm always eager to provide a platform to those with a good story or a good data set. So let us know if there are any topics you'd like covered or guests we should reach out to for future future episodes. And if you haven't already done so, make sure that you're hitting that subscribe, follow button on your platform of choice. We're coming to you live today on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, X, and probably a few other places on YouTube, of course, where all of our episodes, we have over 100 episodes now. They're all archived over there on the Nimsy Insights YouTube page. Get, getting right into it today because we have quite a few guests. I'm, so I'm going to skip all of the standard plugs and promotional stuff I make you guys sit through. Uh, today's topic, OpenAI. OpenAI is the company behind ChatGPT, and they have recently released some updates. Today, we are hosting a conversation about what that means for localization professionals. Today's discussion will be driven by my colleague, Renato Beninato, my co-founder of Nimsy and co-author of the General Theory of the Translation Company. Renato is a longtime industry analyst who speaks and consults around the world. We also have some other interesting guests, and I'll just get right into it and start uh, making some introductions here. Um, Constantine Dranch is the founder of Custom MT. He is a longtime industry researcher and analyst with a passion for innovation and guiding clients through the complex Langtech landscape. Marina Pancheva is a returning guest to the show. She's a language specialist and polyglot with her PhD in theoretical linguistics. We've had her on the show before, and she's always a wealth of fascinating information about complex language frameworks. Laszlo, my friend Laszlo, is an MZ researcher and consultant who has been monitoring and in the evolving AI landscape closely. He publishes research on the effects of AI on the language industry and hosts workshops and informational sessions to keep NIMSI's clients up to speed on the latest advancements in this rapidly changing field. And I think that's it. I think we've gotten through all the guests. So as promised, I'm going to take a back seat today and turn it over to my co-founder, Renato Beninato, to drive this conversation. Renato, what are we talking about today? Thank you, Tucker. You already said what we're going to talk about. So what we're going to talk about is this new developments in AI. Uh, OpenAI uh, launched ChatGPT a year ago, in the month of November of last year. And it was this huge uh, impact and revolution in the industry. Everybody got super excited. Uh, many, 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 many people got super scared. And uh, um, we have gone through waves of uh, uh, reactions and emotions regarding um, the application of OpenAI in the language industry. Uh, several attempts have been made to implement this in our uh, workflows in every organization on the buyer side and on the seller side. Uh, but there is a lot of things that we don't know really what is going on and what is going to happen. Uh, last week, OpenAI uh, had their dev day with the developers. Each one of them got $500 in credits. If you watch the presentation, super exciting. Uh, 
Um, I pro they probably spent a lot more money than that just to be at that room with uh, the launch of all the new features of uh, ChatGPT, ChatGPT for Turbo, uh, and they made some other announcements. Almost immediately, our friend Kostya wrote uh, a post on LinkedIn with his first take on uh, what was going on, uh, what were what were the changes that were announced, and what were the possible impacts into our workflows and our lives after this change happened. So uh, I immediately thought, why not uh, get together and have a conversation about this? It's been a week since the launch. Uh, we have had some chance to uh, ingest the, the new features and try uh, some of it. And uh, the idea of today is to have uh, a little conversation about, is it completely uh, revolutionary and is it going to change our lives or isn't it? So I would like to start to ask uh, by asking Kostya, uh, what were these changes? Uh, what, what in your opinion is the impact and what should we be looking at more specifically when it comes to the new features of ChatGPT? Oh, and if you and we can go back and also see if there was any uh, uh, key impact that you would discuss before the the launch of uh, these new features of GPT for Turbo. Kostya. Thank you, Renato. Uh... Well, we are at the stage where the hype should have been dying down. Uh, and if you look at Google Trends, uh, what, what's the number of uh, search requests or traffic to uh, OpenAI website, you can see that uh, over the summer it started to go down slightly. So um, people got tired of hearing AI everywhere. And uh, uh, at the end of the year, uh, of course, is the time when all the announcements are coming uh, to reignite the enthusiasm, to uh, to make an impact in the business season. And uh, last week's announcements were uh, quite important. Uh, so I will go through them quickly without going into too much detail and analysis. Uh, the first one, as you mentioned, is the GPT-4 Turbo, which is a less expensive uh, 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 version of um, the, the latest model. I suspect it's uh, like a slightly smaller model, so it doesn't cost as much uh, money to, uh, to run uh, with a larger context window. Your favorite um, uh, large language model before was Claude 2, right? Uh, which is uh, uh, has a much bigger context window, 100,000 uh, tokens per request. And uh, that was a differentiation, uh, differenti differentiating feature of uh, uh, Claude. And suddenly, uh, GPT-4 comes out with uh, 128 uh, token windows. So bam, uh, the, the, the competitive advantage is kind of uh, obliterated. By that mm -hmm. um, all right, so it's, uh, it can remember more in one request. You can now put in a large book. Uh, through through it and uh, uh, run the whole book. It will go through all the content and one uh, query. Uh, okay, it's three times cheaper, so you can use it more. But so so what? I think the more important announcement was um, 
that uh, OpenAI launched the vision model, uh, GPT-4 um, vision preview, and now uh, the model can see. So for the first time in forever, uh, Disney let it sing and see, and uh, it's, um, it's actually quite good. So you can tell the model in your own language, uh, in your own words, to look at something, uh, understand what it is, and um, point out some of the details that it's in. So it can look at a document, it can look at an image, it can look at a screenshot, it can look at a video and describe what it's seen. And that capability is rather new. Uh, we are already used to working with text, but now we can tell it, uh, computer, have a look at this picture, tell me what you see. And immediately that jumped to me as uh, something which will have um, an impact in localization because it can look at uh, screenshots, it can do localization QA on those screenshots, some of the arcane stuff that uh, only localization geeks know, but uh, it's always a big problem and uh, there is no automated solution. And for the first time, anyone can write, look at my screenshot and tell me what you see. And um, that already works. So immediately after I asked our developer to make a small script and if Tucker, uh, if you'd like, you can maybe show that uh, somewhere during our um, meeting today. Uh, you can upload the NIMSY screenshot, the NIMSY live page into that tool. And behind that tool is a small prompt. Uh, detect localization issues and tell me what they are. And uh, we're talking about this right here, Kostya? Yes. Take this page. I have right, uh, sent you. Tell us all of the issues with our website, please. I love yes, it. And, come, come on our uh, show and tell us what's wrong. <laughs> try to run it if it works, because it's 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 a simple wrapper uh, around this. Uh, we can come back to that screen and have a look. Oh, we you tried want me to run? You want me to run a script on this? You have a script um, in uh, the meet that we're sitting uh, oh. to open uh, a small tool which we built specifically to test the screenshot. Okay, we're going to pretend I ran the script because I don't trust running a script at the same time as running like a bajillion gigabytes worth of RAM um, <laughs> live streaming. But do you want me to go to the next picture? Uh, no, no, it's just screenshots to, uh, to test. So if you'd like, uh, open the web page uh, in the meet. All right, uh, I'm, going, I'm going off there. stream and I'll play around with this. Keep talking, guys. Yeah, that would be, that would be yeah. a... So the point is that you made, you made a very interesting exercise, which was to uh, get uh, GPT to look at your screen uh, on a registration screen on your website. And, and it can see, right? It can see what is the problem. And it can describe the problem better than uh, somebody who is not versed in localization can do. So not only the model can see, it can actually work with the information it sees in a very similar way to a human. Mm -hmm. And that is quite big. We never had that kind of capacity at the, uh, at the finger, fingertips. And people can now easily build something on top of that. And, it will have an effect probably both in testing if uh, uh, if it works today. Uh, All right, better. I'm dragging the yeah. image where it says drag image. Yeah, and uh, it can have an effect in audio description, right? So this audio description where they uh, narrate videos for blind people, uh, it can already do that almost right out of the box. And audio description is a growing market where one minute of audio description uh, costs $27 and is driven by regulations that um, 
inclusion military uh, legislation yes all right well, so that, we yeah. got a result here as an ai i cannot perform live testing on interfaces but i can point out potential issues that might be identified during localization testing based upon the image provided here's a numbered list of potential issues with the layout that could come up during localization one text overflow and i'm not going to read all of the details two fixed date and time format interesting i recognize that three font support um Four, directionality. Some languages are read right to left. Um, five, color and contrast. The use of colors and contrast should be considered. Some cultures have different meanings. Uh, six, cultural considerations. Imagery, icons, and colors may have cultural connotations and might need to be adapted for different regions. Seven, alignment and spacing. Depending upon language, alignment and spacing around text between UI elements may need adjusting to ensure visually appealing and functional layout. Eight, responsive design. The website's design must remain functional and visibly coherent. Very interesting. So it got all of that just from uploading a screenshot from our website. But none of that seemed very specific, specific to the screenshot itself. Well, some if of you it introduce was, a specific it, error to it, the screenshot, it will point out this, this error. And uh, the, the prompt behind this is basically one or two lines. It's not very detailed yet. It's just a demonstration that visually yeah. works. Yeah. And it didn't it's, recognize it's, that there was a date in there, for example. It says Thursday, November 16th at 10 o'clock PST. So it did recognize that. Very interesting. Yeah. And, and this is quite impressive because I've seen some of the applications of this. It's like uh, it's uh, narrating um, football game, right? Oh, but that's also a video. And it does the, the, the like a, a football narrator, right? It, it can describe, it, it can uh, uh, analyze images, and this is, this is very good. But what is the, 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 the impact of this in the localization industry? Uh, maybe Marina can tell us. Yeah, Marina, go ahead. I've been talking too much already. In this particular case, with this tool that Kostya created, right, it's obvious because this is linguistic testing that you get basically uh, for free in runtime, okay? Very quick, very cheap, and pretty reliable. So that's an immediate impact. We can test web pages without using a lot of resources and no typically paid per screenshot or per hour. Um, but that's just one case, right? That's just like one of the, to me, very concrete types of impact that this release has. Uh, in my personal opinion, the major impact of the DevDiv Day at OpenAI is that uh, suddenly this technology, GPTs, became much more easily accessible. Suddenly, you know, everybody, everybody can create a GPT, for example, a custom GPT. You don't need to be a coder. Whereas before, um, one needed some sort of a tech, tech background or like some coding knowledge to create uh, such a wrapper. Now you can just go in and create a GPT yourself, which to me brings another issue, uh, which I believe we will have to address in the industry. And that is, given that now this technology is so ubiquitous, everybody can use it and the entry level is so low, how do we regulate it? Just to give you an example, uh, soon after the dev div, there were lots and lots of people who tried out to create their own custom GPT for quality evaluation. You know, AI LQA. This is one of the most uh, reasonable applications of AI. So everybody tried to create their own AI LQA tool, you know, GPT, whatever. Now, 
within a very short time, we will have every service provider, every localization service provider having their own AI LQA solutions. How do we make sure that they are comparable? Right. When we are running quality evaluation, for example, we always try to regulate it so that the quality evaluation done by one supplier, say on content translated by a different supplier, you know, wouldn't be very much different if a third supplier comes in and evaluates the quality. We need to measure everything by the same measure. That's why we have DQF and QM. Now, suppose that every supplier has their own prompt for running AI LQA. How do we make sure that those prompts are somehow similar, that they are focusing on the right thing, that they're using similar technologies? Let's say all of them are using as reference style guides and term, term bases and so on. So I feel that very soon we will be solving that problem of making sure that AI technologies that are implemented in our processes are somehow regulated and they are comparable. So that when I run a AI LQA on content translated by, let's say, my translators, and then the client sends this same content to a third-party reviewer and wants to have it uh, checked for quality as well. The third-party reviewer running their own AI LQA is measuring the translation quality by the same measure, which in this particular case means with a similar prompt. Mm, Laszlo, why is this important? I kind of think that uh, LQA is the kind of uh, service that might disappear completely from the process uh, as a human manual LQA kind of thing, right? I don't know, what, what do you think? I think that, well, to be honest with you, OpenAI's latest announcements, they add a lot of things publicly. Um, you can call it like um, OpenAI's um, Appleifying or iPhoneification, something you can um, put that name around if you want to. I mean, it's a single platform where you can do a whole bunch of things. There are a lot of apps. There's essentially one model with various versions for any single uh, use case, whether it be Dolly um, or the GPTs or Whisper or the new text-to-speech engine that they developed, which, by the way, speaks Hungarian with a very happy American accent. And not very happy, but very noticeable. Um, which again goes back to the fact that you know many of these uh, tools are very English biased. We're looking forward to developments of, you know, let's make it like kind of language inclusive and language neutral. Some of these tools, at least. But in reality, what we're looking at is with Kostya and Marina. You were also discussing is, you know, these are kind of use cases or rather tasks in the language industry, in the localization industry that we're trying to automate to a certain degree. And while we have had automations developed and deployed on, on various tasks before, now you know all these large language models and with the vision capability, other multimodalities, they may bring about new tasks that could be automated to a certain degree. But they do not fundamentally change the way we actually work. So great, let's work on LQA, let's work on, on OCR, uh, question answering, um, and, and do localization or, or linguistic testing on screenshots or even on videos. We can do that um, if you really want to with the GPT model and with all the function calling and everything else with it. But that doesn't necessarily fundamentally change the way we work. Um, or rather, it doesn't change fundamentally the workflow, the way the work that is being done. So curiously enough, actually, the language industry is one of those places where it's less revolutionary when, than you would have thought. Ultimately, these are large language models. You would have expected they're going to bring something amazingly different to the language industry. And so far, they haven't. That's not to say that GPT-5, whenever OpenAI releases that, will not do something amazingly different again. 
what we're seeing today is still, in my head at least, is quite incremental to the way the language industry currently delivers work or will be delivering work for the foreseeable future. Uh, I may slightly disagree here. Okay. Uh, I don't know what exactly yeah, you mean <laughs> by saying it doesn't change the way we fundamentally work and who exactly do you mean by we, right? Because uh, for linguists, it changes a lot. And that is a trend that simply continues, right? So uh, when you think about the work provided, the work, the nature of the work of a translator, 20 years ago or 30 years ago, right? Very creative translation. 40 years ago in my case, Marina, 40. Okay. <laughs> oh. Okay, yeah. But what do you have there? You have a blank sheet, right? Totally blank sheet. And you need to, to fill it in with translated words. Then comes uh, TM, okay? Your sheet is not blank anymore. You are getting uh, translation memory hits. Then comes MT, and you are getting uh, machine translation, which you need to post-edit. Currently, most translators are actually post-editors, barring, you know, some creative marketing translations and transcreation, right? These are post-editors. Post-editors, in many cases, they, they do not think like the translators 30 years ago. They do, not, uh, they do not employ the same mechanism of work uh, as you do when you have the blank sheet that you need to fill up with words. And I am seeing this changing right now because uh, linguists right now, the way we we have started retraining them, uh, they will be either uh, LLM output evaluators or, or rather and linguistic prompt designers. And this is a new type of work which is going to become more and more important and it will take more and more of their time, right? The work with LLM and I believe it is a different, uh, a work of a different nature. But uh, Marina, um... When I started 40 years ago, like literally 1983, I was doing handwritten translations. I went to a typewriter. I went to a computer. I had dictionaries. I had 3,000 dictionaries in my library. And I don't miss it. I no, nobody misses it. No love for the way I used to work. I am jealous. I'm jealous of my kids going to school today with all these devices and being able to learn and access information immediately. So I, I have a sense, and, and we're not going into the details of, of the technology here, but it's more a, a, a general sense of, uh, of feeling that as in other um, incremental changes that we have had in, in the business, there is a certain romanticism, a certain aura of, oh, the way we used to do it was better, or uh, uh, the new generation doesn't understand how important it is. I, I remember a translator telling me that he didn't want to work on a computer because he had his words a central relationship with the keys on his keyboard, right? Yeah. He liked the touch of his keyboard and so on, and that a, me a mechanical keyboard was much better than a, 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 a computer keyboard. So uh, uh, there is a, a certain element of, of, oh my God, this is going to change so much, but isn't this going to be better that you don't need to waste time on tasks that are annoying copying pasting becomes uh, different. 
but in a way, I, I don't have that romantic uh, uh, sense of things. Well, I do think, in my opinion, it's for the better because now it's much more fun. So where is empty posterity? So let's start with translators, right? Translators, that, that's a creative process. You know, you translate from, yeah, the 40 years ago, you translate from scratch. You need to be an author when you're a translator. Then it morphed into spot the error. You become a reviewer. You need to look at the empty output and very quickly identify the mistake there and correct it. This is not that creative anymore, right? It's not yes. like author your own translation. It's like spot the error. And now we are moving to a different level. Now it is not only spot the error in the LLM output, but figure out the reason behind that error and go back to your prompt and modify the prompt in a clever way so this, that this error doesn't appear again, which is certainly much more fun than just spotting the error. You know, you need to figure out the reason behind the error. That's where the magic lies for me. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, but this is today, Marina. This yes. is today. Today, we need to spot the error. Five years from now, it's going to change again. So, Kostya, uh, you are less of a linguist and more of a pragmatist. Uh, what what do you think these implications are? I, I wonder if it's uh, not a trick question. I'm less of a linguist, so somehow I uh, oh my god, <laughs> why did I study in the university for five years? Um, I okay. think we are strained from the conversation of what happened and what's the implication of the new stuff into the old conversation of uh, resistant change. And um, bring it uh, back. Let's bring it back, right? So uh, Lazo says uh, nothing is going to happen, right? If I understand uh, your, uh, no, your. I didn't say that. Um, what I said. What, what is your position that you argued that nothing is changing? No, what I said was there are specific use cases that where which where we couldn't use tools before, right? Would that be large scale KM cleanups or doing? Uh, localization, localization testing on, on uh, images in an automated fashion. These are amazing use cases, and I fully support them that, you know, the industry kind of develops them. I do have the slight concern that uh, Marina mentioned previously to say, no, no, how about the quality, and not language quality or linguistic quality, but quality of the work. If somebody tells you, develops a tool and says, oh, it's 87% correct, okay, which 13% is it? Right. Or can you at least tell which 13% isn't so that you know which one to look at and which is kind of the machine tr uh, translation quality estimation is exactly doing this. Can you filter out the stuff that doesn't need human touch? I think that's the biggest value of um, large language models and AI in general. And the thing where large language models come into the picture is they do this on the language content, which we in the localization industry, we deal with day to day. There are plenty of use cases where new things can be done. And there are plenty okay, of cases so, where... So you are arguing that uh, new use cases appear. But let's also yeah. look at how um, more easily available and more easily controllable uh, models are democratizing the access to, uh, to AI. Take an Unbubble, a breakthrough company which raised lots of money and has spent millions of dollars on developing a large language model for LQA. Uh, for understanding where the error is in the text. So that they, they narrow down this 13%, uh, Laszlo, that you're speaking about, to maybe 1% or 2%. And as you know, the, the humans are not infallible. They, they, they still have several percent. Even the best experts make errors. Errare, uh, 
how's it going, uh, uh, Renato? Errare humano mest, right? Uh, yes. It's the human nature to, to make errors. So if you really narrow it down to 2%, then uh, you've achieved human parity or maybe even better. And you... Well, according you... to translated, it's actually 8%, right? The, the, the first pass of uh, human translation uh, has an average 8% error. So your, 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 the, the, the first pass of human translation is 92% quality. Let's put it this way. All right. So if, if you bring the model there and uh, it achieves this accuracy, you have a fully automated process and it's a big change because you don't need humans anymore. It's instantaneous. It becomes embedded and so on. Um, and Babel spent years developing this. And now Marina says that every LSP can make a custom GPT and achieve a similar result, perhaps uh, not as nuanced and detailed, uh, but workable result within uh, how long? An hour, two hours a day, two weeks, a month. So the impact is there, right? Uh, you don't need to be on Babel to build a working solution anymore. And our experience has been that um, a minimal viable solution is uh, really easy to build. Uh, you pick a prompt, you build it with the minutes, but something which really works <laughs> takes so, so so much time. Uh, yeah. Recently, we had a project which uh, lasts already half a year to make uh, GPT-4 translations work in a specific environment. And uh, to get the last mile, it really takes a long uh, time because- That's in everything, right? Yeah, yeah it's unreliable. It, it can time out uh, and uh, there's frustration because it's almost there, but no. When you push the the million words through this, uh, problems are, are surfacing. So, in a similar way, we now all have the access to uh, the, the the tools that made the previous wave of disruptive companies uh, disruptive. Everyone can, can be an AI disruptor, so that's not a differentiating quality anymore. I don't know, Renato, where the discussion will go because nobody can claim the spot of an AI company anymore. Uh, we all can do this. It will all. Uh, we will all take uh, months uh, to, to build something practical, but the impact is always at the uh, at the fingertips, right? Uh, some companies like TransPerfect already sh see results. Uh, they have the translation costs, right? After machine translation, they have automated post editing, which again costs uh, uh, the cost and tool. It's a big impact, especially. If you take a billion dollars, such as perfect in rest. Actually, uh, you need to qualify that because this is not something that they see across the board. This is something that they see in a fraction of their business, which is a fraction of the industry, which is a fraction of all the stuff that has to be done. So I, I actually am glad that you uh, took uh, TransPerfect's case because TransPerfect's case is specifically in their media business, which is probably maybe less than 10% of their business. And if you take translated, uh, trans, translations of uh, Transperfect, <laughs> there's so many. <laughs> You're old, Renato. You're old. <laughs> I'm old. I'm old. You've lived if through you many iterations and name changes. Transperfect. If you take Transperfect as a whole, as a percentage of the whole industry, right, we are talking about uh, uh, one and a half percent, or even less than one and a half percent of the whole uh, translation industry is 
managed by uh, 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 Transperfect. So 10% of 1.5%, it's a very, very, very small impact overall. So one of the questions that I have, and Laszlo, I will let you comment on this. One of the questions that I have is this really, and this is, is the discussion, is it really disruptive or is just incremental, is the impact that this thing has. One of the things that uh, caught my attention in the dev day at OpenAI was the fact that they were announcing with uh, uh, a lot of, of uh, uh, emphasis, the fact that they had 100 million users of the technology. And, and if you look at it as a number, 100 million, is a lot, right? But of these 100 million, there are the five of us here in the screen. And uh, we don't use it a lot. We don't use it. Uh, uh, Kostya certainly uses us more than, than me and Laszlo, and I don't know how much Marina uses it. But the, the, the fact is that 100 million, it's very small in the grand scheme of things. So this is where when I, when I try to bring this to a market scale and a human scale, I am in a way optimistic because it still can be a differentiator for those who are using it. And on the other side of it, I'm, I'm, I don't understand why there is so much fear and so much uh, scare mongering going on in the industry. I think that the impact overall, and this is the theme of our conversation, what is the impact of it is going to be marginal. No, the, there is a big impact, uh, Renato, in the executives who are exercising pressure now yep. to apply AI, right? Yep. It was not something which happened before, but uh, once uh, this large language models became a chatbot, that everyone can uh, understand once it went viral, there's the big impact on 1% of the world that control 90% of the world's money. And this is where the hurt comes from. What hurt? I mean, I, why I, so many? I'm just gonna interject here really quickly. Um, I have some comments that I'm going to read uh, eventually. So <laughs> call to action for the over 100 people watching this live. If you have any questions, comments, criticisms, then go ahead and leave those in chats. And then I'll interrupt at some point if I can get a word in. All right, Marina. No, last was before me. Yeah. If I take the word, I will. Ladies just first, leave please. So, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. So um, first of all, no hurt in my opinion. I think this is a lovely technology and we should just embrace it and be happy that we have it because it's a fascinating thing. We have an amazing language generator at our fingertips, right? At, at play, to, ready to be used. But going back to what Renato was saying, Renato, it was you who said that LLMs are not disruptive, they are intrusive. And I think that's exactly what they are. They are not going to disrupt the industry. They will just permeate it intrude into it and they will become our daily bread this is what all our processes will be in some way or another connected with llms leveraging from their capabilities but that doesn't mean that they will go away they will be just faster probably cheaper that's not always clear but let's assume they're going to be cheaper and they will be scalable they will just 
manage 10 times more content, 100 times more content within the same time frame. So to me, that is the impact. It's basically an acceleration of what we are doing, bringing it to the next level, but not really changing what we do and in no way endangering the business that we have. In, in some sense, I, I agree with that sentiment, Marina. And I want to reply to Kostya who said, um, yeah, so there are a lot of things happening. And you know, if it's 1% of the companies own 90% of the money, then their impact is huge. Yes, that is true on the global market. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Renato, what you said that, you know, Transperfect with 10% of 1.5% or whatever it is, that's very small impact so far. Yes. Right. The big question that comes is, you know, if the technology enabled LSPs uh, do actually implement a 30 or 50% efficiency in their costs for production of, um, say, the most common um localization content will that enable them to actually harvest more of the market to grow faster than the market right to take over the pie from you know the small and, and mid-sized lsp how quickly will this spread down to the kind of the lower ranks and how will it if it does does it endanger the smaller and, and medium-sized lsps who have no ability to catch up immediately because it seems that this technology is proliferating at least somewhat faster than machine translation did um, 67 years ago. Yeah, in that sense, Kostya, you're right. That democratization is a big piece of it. It's easier to implement Gen AI than it is to implement machine translation on your end. By now, it's also easy to do machine translation too, but bear in mind, we still at NIMSI do a lot of empty assessment and implementation projects for our LSPs and for our buyer clients as well. We imagine that in the next few years, we're gonna have our hands full similarly with Gen AI implementation, right? And it's, you know, OpenAI, going back to the original topic, OpenAI is platformizing itself, right? They are trying to become the single platform, the go-to platform uh, for generative AI. But then again, there are so many other solutions out there. Uh, let's not forget, um, would that be, you know, um, Amazon coming with their Olympus model? Would that be Anthropic getting investments from both Amazon and Google? Um, and of course, Microsoft is hosting OpenAI and there's everything on hugging face. And then next to it, there is the big question of why is this one model for all, right? Uh, why uh, why uh, aren't there yet, or maybe there will be, smaller custom-made models, which are really fast and cheap to run for specific tasks, how easy or hard they will be to develop, customize, and deploy. And they're probably coming. Even, you know, there is a, a Finnish initiative, there's a Dutch initiative, uh, there is a German initiative with uh, serious investments going into developing language models that would be specifically tailored for a language or for a culture or for a region, a locale. Will these be the way of moving forward? Or really it is, GPT-5 will come along and really will just um, uh, take over the world because it will be the best model available for every single task? My hunch is no, it isn't. Just like with machine translation, we have an engine for every use case essentially right now. No wonder that so far, even though it's possible to create multilingual machine translation engines, they are not really the ones that are in use, right? And uh, it will be something, in my estimation, it will be something similar with generative AI. There will be a large language model, an AI model for a specific use case. Would that be for LQA? There will be a separate one for uh, visual question answering. There will be a third one for linguistic testing, et cetera, et cetera. Who will develop those? Who will be testing those when there are no defined frameworks for quality um, assessment of these models just yet? 
it will take probably years to get those done. We need to move forward to that. And we in the industry, we're the ones who are going to be driving that change too. So, Laszlo, I, I like what you're saying because what you're describing is the way I like to look at this change, right? I'm not looking at the change from, and, and Costia has done an amazing job at looking at the actual technology and playing with the actual technology. And and my my playing with the technology has been very frustrating. I, I know, I learned right. that uh, ChatGPT can't uh, count, that ChatGPT is really bad at math. And uh, I trained a little GPT, GPT to, to create, to answer questions specific based on some data information that I added. And uh, it was very underwhelming. And it's, it, it, was it was three days after it came out. What is that? It was, Renato. Uh, if you compare it uh, today uh, with your results from, from, from before, you might see a different outcome. From, from three days ago. No, in, in the new model, right? So, yes, maybe I'll see different things. And that's the point. It's a No, no, over the last three days, nothing has changed. Exactly. But, uh, so it's it what what I want to say is that what you have just described, Laszlo, is a little bit of uh, the same reality that we have today with uh, new tools, new technologies. So uh, between you and Costia, you named five uh, uh, really? LLMs, basically five LLMs, right? There, which one are you going to choose? Which one? Uh, uh, ChatGPT with GPT-4 Turbo with all the new features is the best today. The day after tomorrow, Anthropic, who hasn't been quiet waiting for GPT to come, to, waiting for OpenAI to come up with something, is going to say, hey, look at us. We have this same features and better. And then you look at translated, the, the Italian guys who are, developing their own uh, LLMs and it's already working in 200 languages better than the other ones. And why? We don't know about it. Yeah. And there is going to be a lot of uh, uh, balls in the air. And we are in the same situation that we, we are now, which is essentially the paradox of choice, the, the need to have choice and analy analysis paralysis. Hey, you know what? This is so complex, it's changing so much. I'll keep doing things the way that I've been doing for the last five years because it's safe. Marina, I have a sense I, that you want to say something. I, I'm gonna I jump just... I'm gonna jump in here because I, I'm waiting for an opportunity. The opportunity is not coming, so I'm just gonna bite the bullet and and dive in here because I want to get to some of the chats and then I'll turn it back over to, to Marina. Thanks everybody who's been submitting in chat. I just want to go through it. Uh, Sebastian, Elisa, Walid, Estella, Estella, Kim, um, Antonios writes, English relies on post editors instead of translators now, but in Arabic, AI translation quality is still lacking compared to English, emphasizing the ongoing need for human translation. It's a really good point, um, adding context to the conversation we've been having here. Um, LinkedIn user. Hi all, there is an interesting book, Blood in the Machine. Thesis, not the technology is the problem, but the fact that it will be used to reduce as a cost reduction tool. Whoops. A cost reduction tool in a B2B scenario pressing, pressing for a good enough solution. I wish I could see who that was. Agreed. 
Um, there was a topic, there was a question down here. Um, I like this. Sebastian says maybe clients will create their own models for LQA. Then the, then they can create it the way they want it. Seems the way to go for me. I think a lot of the conversation we've been having is around, you know, which, which is the best model, which is the best model. But with the barrier to entry for people to develop their own custom models, maybe that's going to be the solution here. Um, we were kind of talking about that. Um, I'm trying to get through a lot of these. What about Elisa says, what about HeyGen? How will this impact the industry? I don't know what HeyGen is. Does anyone know what HeyGen is? Please. I'm sure, I'm sure it goes Rabbi. What is HeyGen? Uh, there, there's a about. lot to unwrap there. Uh, to speak to Arabic, there are actually pretty decent Arabic specific MT engines out there. And also the UAE has developed their own Falcon family models, which are focusing on, on uh, Arabic or at least the Arabic world, um, North Africa and, and Middle East, uh, the Falcon large language model. So there are these attempts to make, you know, the new AI technology regional or local and, and serve the needs best there. HeyGen, by the way, is a very interesting one. I, I really love what those guys are doing with AI translation. But in my head, kind of, that's not very different from, you know, the um, the AI interpreting headsets. Yeah, sure, they, they work, but they will not work for... Uh, business mi mission critical contents for user engagement for um, for revenue generation. They're kind of can, fun tools in many ways. Can I use it to ask a girl out in another language? Um, yes, you can. That's kind of, of the use case, right? It's fantastic. It, it's very conversational type stuff. You can do a lot more than that, but also let's realize these take a long time. Like uh, the AI pin from Humane is coming out soon and it's supposed to use uh, OpenAI's GPT models for live um, voice clone interpretation even. You can use it for that if you want to, but the delay is a few seconds. So it will kind of feel awkward. And if it comes out wrong, you can't really connect this, right? That's one of the things. Whereas our industry is all about, by now, machines come up with the first iteration and we humans correct it. The next generation will be the humans come out with the first iteration, which will be good enough for publishing for the vast majority of the content. And the humans will be there to gauge, to correct, to guide the machines, to provide the content as often as possible right first time. Going back, just Go back to Marina. A well, one second. I just want to make sure we cover everybody here because they're they take the time to write the comments. So I'm going to read them. Um, you don't need to. Yvonne, to hey, we want to fight here. My podcast. Fight. My podcast. All right, you want to fight? Let's fight. We're reading the comments. I've got I've got the buttons. You don't. Um, button for chat. Uh, Veronica, your colleague, Marina, says AI models seem to have done one thing, though. Uh, translation became a kind of side effect of using AI for solving various problems. It simply reacts in the requested language, and it will probably gradually learn to react even better the more we keep using it. What if that level of linguistic capability simply becomes good enough for most of the customers? And that is a whole can of worms. Maybe we can talk about, like, what is good enough? But it already is good enough. Yeah. <laughs> Like I said, can of worms, right? And yeah. Stefan writes, what makes this different is the democratization of AI through custom GPTs announced uh, last week. Everyone will be able to make their own solutions without knowledge of any code. And, and this is dangerous. This is dangerous that anybody can make right. their own stuff. How much Fight. bad stuff is going to be? We make an assumption that things are good, but they can come out bad. Well, this, that's so like many stories of that's, bad outcomes. That's Apple App Store when they came out. The vast majority of stuff that was published there was junk. 
That's why we need to regulate. This is what I started with, right? That's why we need to regulate and have some control, which actually brings me to, I think it was Sebastian who made that comment about clients making their own uh, AI-powered LQA solutions, right? That's fine as long as they share it with the supplier so that the supplier can run exactly the same prompt on when they evaluate or like self-certify their own quality and have a discussion about it. Is it good? Does it produce the right results, right? Does it evaluate correctly? So that, I, that is what you do, right? You create custom solutions for your clients it, with MT. Are you moving to do it with AI? Of course we are, but I don't want to talk right now about um, what RWS is doing in that space. I want to get back to what you said, Renato, because I always, I promised Tucker to come up with an exotic scientific fact uh, and I'll do it now. Right? Thank you. Um, you, so. you know what I like <laughs> to hear. <laughs> I know. So there you go. When you complained about um, the LLM, the GPT math capabilities, that is something I was actually thinking about this morning as I was biking. This is my thinking time. It struck me as very strange that LLMs are so good at generating language and so bad at basic math problems. You need a whole slew of prompting techniques, chain of thought. I don't know what to make them calculate a simple, you know, John has two apples and Mary has two apples. How many apples do they have in common? And the reason why it is so surprising, and here comes the exotic scientific fact, okay? The reason it is surprising is because the evolutionary change <clears throat> that Homo sapiens underwent gave us math and language at the same time. The theory is that there was a kind of a think of it as genetic mutation which enabled our brains to perform an operation called merge some people talk about recursion the ability to merge recursively and it was this cognitive operation that gave us math and language as a byproduct of math so we have math and language and the two work according to the same principle of merge and recursion that's why it is so surprising that an LLM that has language doesn't have math. And the reason for that is because an LLM generates language not by using the deeply structural processes of merge and recursion as we humans do, but it is using a flat process of stringing items one next to the other based on their probability. It's basically putting beads on a string. And LLMs will remain as long as they work the way they are. They work, and I don't see how that's going to change. They just work differently when it comes to language production, language generation. They think differently about languages. So as long as that's the fact, I think we human linguists are safe. We are going to be needed in that industry simply because you need the human skill of understanding language the way humans understand language. And that's how I'm going to end my part. Kostya, we are coming quiet. No, I, I I would say we are circling back around the the uh, the, the question whether GPT works or whether GPT doesn't, and we're not covering in detail um, what actually happened and what we should do about it. Uh, maybe Renato, you can uh, steer us back onto that topic. Uh, you just tell us. You just steered us back to the topic. <laughs> well, what do you think? So you have uh, uh, three stakeholders in our industry, right? The, the buy side manager who is under pressure to adopt uh, GPT. Uh, how? Uh, you have the LSP that is under pressure to uh, transform as usual and uh, grow and optimize. 
how and uh, you have the linguist uh, who wants to have job longevity and uh, job success uh, how so and then yeah. you have the technology company that is trying to automate some of this and make some money out of this process too yeah the, the technology company is really uh, now squeezed by uh, OpenAI. yeah uh, very few uh, niches of technology companies were untouched by the latest release it can now see it can now speak so it's threatening all these companies that have been working on synthetic dubbing, uh, speech recognition, uh, vision, you name it. They've been working on specific problems. Now everyone can do that. But let's So he here's what uh, I, I, it's my take from what I have observed in the last, since September. So two, two and a half months, we've been going around, it's conference season, uh we've been all of us have been going to conferences participating in discussions listening to panels looking at demos and looking at presentations and uh, sharing ideas so what i have seen is that um nobody really controls the process there is this pressure from the top in buyer organizations let's look at, at the three players right there is this uh, 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 pressure from the top, and I think uh, Wayne Borland from Dell was the one who uh, uh, put it best with a cartoon where he says, what is the impact of gender AI? I don't know. What is the, the, the uh, uh, how does it change things that I don't know? The answer for everything is I don't know until at the end. So what are you going to do about it? We're going to deploy it everywhere in our organization. Basically, it, there is a there is a, a desire, a wish, an impression that uh, LLMs and generative AI are disruptive, revolutionary, and they can solve all the problems. But when we go back to the day-to-day -day practical things, and I was just at a conference in India, an Adobe uh, vendor summit, where uh, several of their vendors, not only in uh, language technology, but in other areas, were presenting their accomplishments. And to be honest, they're all tests. I think that there was one real case of an actual deployment of uh, AI-enabled processes in, uh, in an organization, right? So most of them are running pilots, are running attempts, are ro running ideas, and they need to be delivering their localizations. Uh, Renato, you're, you're, you're again reiterating the point, uh, it doesn't work, so relax. No, no, it's not, it's not the point that it doesn't work. The point that I want They'll to make is that where we are with this Define is work. that the impact of these things is potentially very high, potentially very good, potentially very disruptive, but it requires effort, talent, uh, 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 commitment uh, that nobody's ready to do. We only hear, we want it to be cheaper, we want it to be faster, we want to use it. And uh, what do you think is, is going to change, Kostya? You, are the one who have looked at this and has played with it automatically. Have you been able to monetize this? So to answer the last question, 60% uh, of the MT that flows through my application is now uh, through OpenAI. 
Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, I see a big impact on how people use machine translation. Uh, however, it doesn't answer the, the question is uh, what people should do. Mm -hmm. What do you think they should do? Well, uh, make it work, right? Uh, the same, the same, the, the same idea, right? Uh, the out of the box, it's a test. Making it work is a journey, and uh, continue proactively learning and uh, improving it. I think is the right uh, is the right path to be active in that space. Marina, you're nodding. I totally, I totally agree. I think we should embrace new technologies. Be brave. Um, explore. And um, yeah, take just take this as an adventure and go for it. But, but Marina, am I saying anything different than that? No, okay. uh, but what you're saying <laughs> is that until that point, nobody has deployed it large scale in production, for example. It's yes. all tests and pilots and so on. Right, but that doesn't mean that this is going to be like that in a year from now. We are starting, we're exploring, testing, researching, experimenting. And that is going How to is this disruptive if we're doing exactly the same thing that we have been doing with NeuroMT until... But I think we agreed that this is not disruptive. Okay. I, I think we agreed, at least my understanding is that this is not going to change radically the way we work. This is just another tool that mm -hmm. we are having that we can use smartly. And that's it. It's not going to eradicate the entire language industry simply because we have large language models now. I don't believe so. I I, I violently agree with you. And um, smart man, Laszlo, what what do you want to say? I would love to add that uh, agreeing with Kostya that there's a lot of experimentation and testing uh, goes into it, and and playing with these tools is a great idea. Go ahead, everybody, do it and sign up for GPD. Go to Hugging Face, do it on Vertex AI or Bedrock, wherever you do it. One of the major challenges that I see is that most of these experiences are really hard to replicate. Uh, many of these tests are not repeatable directly. Sure, you can do the temperature tuning or whatever you do in your API for your models. But as soon as OpenAI, for example, changes or uh, tweaks their models under the hood a little bit, your prompts will not be optimal anymore. Right. And this is one of the major problems that currently these models have. It's great that there are prompts that you can use your natural language to guide the model what to do. Um, but they're not the structured way that we typically use computers right now, which is if you enter code, the code will run and it will always run the same way. Um, and because you know these players who develop these foundational models, they are in control of them, it hasn't yet boiled down if this will be a stable way of using these models, prompting and prompt engineering. Will that also be automated? Very much possible in the future. Um, and the additional tools, whatever it is, lang chains and vector databases, uh, will that also be just open AI stack that will be used? Will they be the go-to platform? That was the premise of the last release, right? That that was yeah. the, the challenge thrown. Definitely the, the, the move towards that space, yes. But it doesn't mean that there are no alternatives. Actually, there are way too many of them in many ways, agreeing with uh, Renato. Does it remember Google. smartphones? Uh, there were so many smartphones uh, before uh, yeah. before iPhone. Yeah. And then there was only iPhone and everything else. But let's bear in mind that those are consumer products, primarily. These and are primarily consumer products. products. Say it again. And uh, ChatGPT is a consumer product. 
Yes, but when we use it in our industry, those are business products, right? No wonder there are also not just one cloud solution providers out there, but there are multiple and many of them. Um, similarly, very likely there will be more than a handful um, uh, platforms that will. iPhone is also a business product if a business buys it, right? Guys, I'm going to keep turning this music volume up and up and up until we get the hint here. <laughs> that we're oh, out of time. music, I can uh, hear it. I'm classical camera. Uh, that we are out of time for today. Quick, everybody, closing thoughts in 20 seconds or less. Renato. Uh, I, I, I'm very optimistic. I think that this technology is great. I think that we're going to make great, great things. And the, even though we're going through a slump, in this industry because of fear and uh, inaction, I think that there is uh, there are indicators that things are going to change for the best. Awesome. Thank you, Renato. Kostya. Uh, learn prompting. I trained 350 people this year in prompting, uh, probably going to come up to 500 by the end of the year and still learning a lot. Number one and number two, uh, do have uh, two or three projects uh, in the next year where you implement uh, journey. Yeah, it doesn't matter what specifically you do. It, it matters that you go through the journey. Once you walk it once or twice, uh, the third time is the charm. Love it. Marina. Cannot agree more with Renat and Costa. Don't know what to add. I'll just say that fear and inaction, I don't register that, at least not in my immediate environment. On the contrary, there is enthusiasm uh, and uh, um, this feeling of going on an adventure and exploring. So embrace that, right? And upgrade your skills, definitely. I, as a linguist, I want to turn to linguists, stop being a philologist, become a linguist and a prompt engineer. Well put, thank you. Last but not least, Laszlo. Ooh, I got last words. Um, um... I think that large language models are great in natural language generation. It's revolutionary, no doubt. In natural language processing, typically the work we do, it's very augmentative at this point of time, may be revolutionary in the future. And then, yeah, it, they don't do math well because they're not very good at understanding and reasoning in the first place. That's not what they were created for. But what we keep forgetting is, yeah, maybe the top of the hype has, is behind us already, but still the level of hype supersedes fit for purpose. And I'm looking forward to the time when there will be fit for purpose models for specific use cases, languages, locales. And um, we get to the place where everybody feels safe and uh, to invest into these tools without risking ROI because something new comes along in the next month. By the way, it may never happen. <laughs> I mean, safety with ROI. Very good. Well, thank you very much, everybody. It's been a fascinating conversation. I am going to take us out here. Ladies, gentlemen, and chat, we are out of time for today. If you enjoyed this episode of Nimsy Live, then join us next time tomorrow when I'll be having a fascinating conversation about something with somebody. I haven't checked my notes. I'm sorry. Um, I appreciate our guests today, Marina and Kostya. I appreciate my guest hosts, Renato and Laszlo. And finally, we all appreciate you, the audience, who are joining us live today. All of the dialogue in chat, everybody who left comments, questions, and especially criticisms. And I look forward to next time. Cheers. Mm -hmm.